Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter 10, the scripture that we read today. I want to share with you really a gospel message on there's only one entry point into the kingdom of God. There's no other entry points. There's only one. You know, since the United States got involved with the space program, sending people to uh, different places in space and and the moon, uh, the most difficult part of of mission long time ago was the re-entry process. And, of course, the reason for the difficulty was that the spacecraft with its crew had one opportunity to enter into the Earth's atmosphere. The pilot had to make the right calculations and and approach the Earth at a certain angle at a certain time. He had one door to get in, and if he didn't make that door, of course, he could be burned up, and they actually would uh, burned up, bounce off, and then just wander in space, lost forever. Likewise, all those who will enter the kingdom of God have one door. In fact, this morning, I want to look at one passage of Scripture, but the ones that surround it to John chapter 10, verse number 9, if you look at it in your Bibles, Jesus says that I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Now, before I continue, let me just have a word of prayer. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, I ask you, Lord, that you would take me, your servant, and speak through me, Lord, by your spirit and the word of God uh, to the people who are here. Thank you, Lord, for still working in people's lives. I pray, Lord, that today that Christ may be lifted up, that people may be drawn unto him that don't know him yet, and that those who know him would love him more. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless our time together in Christ's name. Amen. So if I were to ask you this morning, are you part of Christ's church? Are you a member of Christ's church? How would you answer that? with an emphatic yes or a reluctant no, or maybe because you have never been asked the question, you really have to admit that you are not really sure how to answer it, or in fact, whether you are part of Christ's church. If you answered yes, what was it that assured you that you are in fact, that you in fact have gained entry into Christ's church and have become a member of his true church. Now, what, am I, what I am asking is, did you enter through the one entry point? If you didn't, then you are not part of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. In fact, in verse number seven of chapter 10, it says, so Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. In other words, we can get the analogy that it's a door is something you have to go through to get to the other side, right? That's, he's the, Lord, the Lord's making it real simple. If you don't go through that door, you can't get to the other side. 
You can't get there. There's no other way. There's only one entryway into the sheep pen. And any shepherd knew that you couldn't have any, many entryways into the sheep pen because the wolves would come in easily. But if there's one entryway and the shepherd stood at that entryway, then the wolves would have a hard time getting in because they would have to deal with the shepherd. And so there are those, though, who believe that you can enter into Christ's church through different entry points. Now, let me just share with you about six of them, and then I'll conclude the first one is, of course, today we're having people baptized, but sometimes baptism becomes the very thing that says, well, I was baptized, so I guess I'm saved. I guess I'm part of Christ's church. So there are those who believe that they, have, they gain admission into the church because they were baptized. Some have been sprinkled, some poured, some dipped, others immersed. Some were infants, some children, others adults. But the truth of the matter is, according to Scripture, it doesn't matter if they were sprinkled, poured, or dipped, or immersed, if they have never come to Christ by true faith. They are nothing better than baptized heathens and are still in their sin and have not entered through the door. See, the door is not baptism, but Christ. You see, the only only if you trust in Christ alone, who is God's great way of salvation, can you have entryway into God's true church. A second entry point that people may use is what I'm calling a birthright. A birthright is a basic right that somebody has or is thought to be entitled to from birth, property or money, that somebody feels entitled to because they belong in the family. And some Christians, or some people who claim to be Christians, says, well, my mother and father were Christians, or my uncle was a pastor, or my uncle was this, or my aunt was that. And so they think by some connection or birthright, they have already been covered and have entryway into the kingdom of God. Now, it's a privilege, believe me, to have Christian parents... But to grow up in a Christian home and attend a Christian church does not mean that you have admission into Christ's true church. It is, of course, of great advantage because you have access to the truth of God's word. But with this privilege, there's great responsibility. And I think all the children should realize that you must use that responsibility rightly. If not, the great blessing could become a great curse. You see, being born into a family of a long or a short line of saints does not guarantee anyone's salvation. The Bible still says in John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, the goal of all Christians should be to glorify God. Under this overarching goal, there is an aim of parenting to be a fruitful instrument in God's hands for actively bringing up a child according to biblical principles. Of course, it tells us in the word of God that fathers are not to provoke your children to anger, but to bring your, them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, because every child 
is born a sinner who intrinsically follows out his or her depravity. So then the task of a parent is not an easy one. But God has left us with instructions. And the instructions are found in the word of God. Now, if the goal of parenting then is to be faithful to bring up one's children according to biblical principles, are there any guarantees regarding the outcome? Well, the answer to that is no. Because the child's response is not necessarily the measure of biblical parenting. A godly example and good training cannot ensure conversion. Therefore, just as by God's grace, an ungodly parent may be blessed with God-fearing children because they heard the gospel and believed, a godly person is not guaranteed by their efforts that the Lord will save any of their children. However, when the grace of God is available in your home, and the word of God is available in your, in your home, and your parents do live according to biblical principle, the responsibilities or the possibilities of salvation are heightened, and it is a good chance because of God's spirit working at that home that those children will come to Christ or they will know very clearly where their parents stand and they will make a decision otherwise. The parents duty before the Lord is to be faithful to their instruction and raise their children in a, in a manner that the Lord has commanded, but the results are the Lord's to determine. The bottom line then is this, children, you must be born again yourselves. You must be born again yourselves. You have no right of entry into Christ's church except by your own personal and individual faith. You come to Christ. You ask him to save you. It is not your mother and father that can be the doorway to Christ's church. It must be Christ who is the door. And everyone individually must come through that door. That's important. So, see, the entry point into the kingdom of God is not through your parents. It is through Christ. There is a third way entry point that people bank on today. And it's the way of profession. They have heard something and they believe something and they say, well, I profess that Jesus died. I profess that he rose again. I profess that he's coming again. So therefore, you know, I believe that I know him and I, I'm part of his church. See, here is one that is very common today that just because someone has made a profession of faith, signed a card, raised their hand or went forward in some evangelistic meeting that they're a part of God's true church. Mere profession cannot prove genuine Christianity. The willingness for you to say, I profess this or I confess that, no more, no more will make you a Christian than for someone who stands in a hangar and proclaims themselves a plane. See, there must be true repentance. There must be true believing. And a person must bear true fruit. The Bible bears testimony in Titus where it says that a person who makes a profession or having it when he has not is in great danger. 
where he, it says in Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable, disobedient, and worthless for any good deed. So this passage simply says, these kind of people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They just went on living the way they always did. There was no change at all. They just added Christ on to everything else they were doing, but no transformation, no change, no love for God. And then there is a fourth way that people may try to enter into Christ's true church, and that's through church membership. There are those who think that because they are members of the visible church that they are in, if they have trusted the external organization to help them feel secure, well, they are, dis- are deceiving themselves because if they have bypassed the door of living faith in Christ and have tried to get in without being a believer in Jesus Christ, well, then Christ will say to them, a thief and a robber because they try to get in some other way without coming through the door, and the door is Jesus Christ. Now, there is a fifth way that is maybe more of our, part of our modern day thinking than that people try to get into Christ's true church because they want to in some way, and it's this, that some bank that they the entry point into God's true church is simply by being a moral person or a good person. See, moralism comes down to this. It's a belief that the gospel can be reduced to improvement in behavior. Matter of fact, there's a lot of that stuff going on today, a lot of teaching in this way. And far too many believers and their churches succumb to the logic of moralism and reduce the gospel to a message of moral improvement. In other words, we communicate to lost persons the message that what God desires for them and demands of them is to get their lives straight. Straighten out your life. But actually, that's a false gospel because you know why you can't straighten out your life. You can't make yourself righteous before God. In fact, uh, Paul said to the Galatian church, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. You have actually distorted the gospel by trying to say to yourself and to others that, listen, God wants you to be a good person. And that will make him pleased, so therefore you have an opportunity to come into Christ's true, true church. But you know what? A moralist will not claim to be without sin. They just claim to be without scandalous sin. The essence of moralism is the belief that we can achieve righteousness by means of proper behavior and theologically the wrong assumption that what God expects of fallen humanity is moral improvement. Now, don't get me wrong, It's good for parents to rightly train their children to obey moral instruction. The church also bears the responsibility to teach uh, its own instruction on the moral commands of God 
and to bear witness of that, those commands, largely in society of what God has declared to be right and good behavior amongst human beings, or there would be absolute anarchy and chaos. But these impulses, right and necessary as they are, are not the gospel. Indeed, one of the most insidious false gospel is moralism that promises the favor of God and the satisfaction of God's righteousness to sinners if they will only behave and commit themselves to moral improvement. That means to the moralist, to the person who's trying to be good to get into God's kingdom, the Bible simply becomes a code book of human behavior and moral instruction replaces teaching on the gospel of Jesus Christ. The corrective to moralism comes directly from Scripture. When Paul, again, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, says to the Galatians this, he says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, the door. I added that, the door. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. See, so moralism makes sense to sinners. For it's really, it's but an expansion of what we have been taught from our earliest days. But moralism is not the gospel. Moralism cannot, cannot bring you through the door. The door is Christ. It will not save you. See, it will not save you at all. Now, the gospel that saves is the gospel of Christ. As Paul reminded the Galatians again, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he may redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. That means that we may be come into the family of God. So we are justified by faith alone, saved by grace alone, redeemed from our sin by Christ alone, meaning that moralism produces sinners who are potentially better behaved. And that's not the gospel. The gospel of Christ transforms sinners into the adopted sons and daughters of God. It brings them into the kingdom of God. And it is the law that shows us our sin and makes clear our inadequacy and our total lack of righteousness. But the law cannot impart life. Only Christ and his spirit can impart life. And Paul insists, insists in the word of God. Therefore, he says that the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. See, 
the word of God is saying, listen, the word of God takes us to the place, the law, the Ten Commandments takes us to the place where it shows us our sin. It magnifies our sin. It puts us right in front of the mirror and says, look at you. You don't match up to God's standard, which is perfection. You fall way short of it. So you need somebody else's righteousness to save you. You need Christ's righteousness. And believe me, brethren, hell will be highly populated with those who were raised right and those who were moralist on this side of eternity. The citizens of heaven will be those who, by sheer grace and the mercy of God, are there solely, there in the kingdom of God, in heaven solely because they have the imputed righteousness of Christ. See, moralism is not the gospel. It is also not the proper entry point. It cannot be morals that can be the doorway to Christ, into Christ's church. No, it must be Christ who is the door and everyone individually must come through him in order to be saved by the righteousness of another. See, you and I need an alien righteousness. We need to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus Christ, when you come to the door, when you come through him, he will give you his righteousness and his righteousness will make you right before God, not your own. We have none. We have no righteousness to offer the Lord at all whatsoever. But there is a sixth way people try to enter today. And this is probably one of the bigger ones that I would say that is going on, especially today in the world, because of, of s- certain philosophical thinking, and that is people who are pluralists. Now, many today believe that entry points, plural, into God's true church are numerous, and that's the belief, belief of the pluralist. And the basic belief, belief of the pluralist comes down to this that the pluralist believe that Jesus is the provision that God has made for Christians. But there are other ways of getting right with God and gaining eternal bliss in, in other religions. That there's many ways. The work of Christ is useful for Christians, but not necessarily not necessary for non-Christians. So, for example, a British theologian named John Hicks argues that different religions are equals though they each may have different emphasis. Christianity is not superior, he said, but merely one partner in the quest for salvation. We are not, he said, to seek one world religion, but rather we look to the day when the ecumenical spirit which has so largely transformed Christianity will increasingly affect relations between world faiths. End quote. See, Christians should not reason as some do, thinking that truth is like a great mountain with one summit and many ways of reaching the top of the summit. It does not matter which way one reaches the top, they say. See, they think that there's many ways. There's one top. There's many ways to reach the top of the mountain, right? I come up this way. You come up that way. You come up the sideway. Another person comes up that way. And we all make it to the top. No. See, the scripture must bear record that Jesus is the doorway. 
there is no one else that we can go to to get into the kingdom of God. Because Jesus is the one who died for sinners. He is the one who paid the price for sinners. He is the one who is the door. So there are only, there's really only one way to measure whether one is correct in one's belief concerning the soundness of any kind of mental foundation. And the, the only way we can test anything is the truth, the truth of God's word found in the word of God. There are not many entry points into Christ's church. Pluralism is also an improper way of thinking. It's actually believing lies. It's believing lies. So I can mention other entry points. All these things I've just mentioned just reveal that people want to be part of the church of Christ. But because of the way they choose to enter, not by the door, but by another way, they cannot gain entry. So this passage indicates illegitimacy on the way they try to enter the church. If you look at John chapter 10, verse number one, where he starts off, he says, truly I say to you, He who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Again, Jesus is stressing through this whole passage of Scripture, I am the door. Please come to me. Come to me. I will, I am the good shepherd. I'll take care of everything you need for salvation, but come in repentance and faith. So my friend, candidates for Christ's true church must make a credible profession of their faith and that they, have, that they have entered the door of Jesus Christ and him alone. It does not matter if you have a baptism or a membership certificate in your, your hand. It does not not matter if you concluded that you have a philosophical way of thinking and that philosophical way of thinking is what you concluded by what you've seen in the world. It does not matter any of those things. The only thing that matters is that if you've come to Christ as your Lord and Savior, the only way you get into the real living church of Christ is by coming to Christ, who himself is the door. So by simple faith and dependence upon Jesus Christ, yes, the one who bled and died on Calvary's cross, any other way is a sham, and the preaching of other systems are delusional, And convincing yourself that you are a believer when you are not is just the greatest deception that we could ever do on ourselves, and that's self-deception. So brethren, I'm getting back to my original question. Have you trusted Christ? If you have trusted Christ and have entered by the door, well then, you have come by God's appointed way. But if you have not trusted Christ, it does not matter your reason. You remain in the state of unbelief. You remain in your sin. And just as Jesus said in the Gospel of John chapter 3, verse 18, he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So I stand here this morning to preach to you about entering into the kingdom of God through the door Jesus Christ. But if you merely walk up to the door, 
You merely say, you know what, that's an interesting point. I never heard it that way before, and I'm going to go home and think about it. So if you merely walk up to the door and you never open the door, you never knock on the door, you never ask Christ, in other words, to save you, well, then you're no better off either. And you've got a lot of understanding, maybe more that you didn't have before. So, so if you merely walk up to the door, it is vain to look at the door unless you enter. And I pray this morning that God would give you the grace to come in and if you have never entered in before, you would come. But please, do not think you are safe from God's wrath if you have not entered by his appointed way. This is the authority of King Jesus. The word of God comes from God. The source of the word of God is heaven to earth. So the, all the authority of heaven and earth I have this morning to say there's only one way to to be right with God. There's only one way to the kingdom of God. There's only one way into the true church of Jesus Christ, and that is the one door, Jesus Christ alone, period. Now, if you look back at the scripture that I looked at, Gospel of John chapter 10, if you have come, or if you are at the door ready to come, I want to just offer to you some great confidence that the people who have come and the people who are at the door wanting to come, there are certain privileges when you do come. And look what they are. In verse number 9, it says this. It says actually three things. Number one, in verse number 9, it says, you will be saved, right? You will be saved. That means safety. Safety from what? Safety from the wrath of God. Safety from the condemnation of your sins. Safety that you can trust in a God who cannot lie. So he who enters in by the door shall be saved, just like Noah and his family was kept safe from the destructive power of the great flood water, waters. But he was not kept safe, neither was his family kept safe until they passed through the one door of the ark and they got into the ark and the, God closed the door and sealed it behind them. See, they were kept safe from anything that could injure them after that. It's saying when we come to Christ and we come into the, the uh, sheepfold through Christ, the shepherd will protect us. The shepherd has everything covered. He's died in our place, right? In fact, if you don't, in this passage of Scripture, he says three times that he's died in our place. Look at, it, look at verse number 11 of John chapter 10. He says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I laid down my life so that I may take it again. And then verse number 18, no one has taken it away from me, but I have I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. This is the commandment I receive from my father. In other, in other words, the shepherd has anticipated that he will die in the place of the sheep. He will die to take their condemnation. He will die to satisfy the justice uh, and the wrath of God. He will die. The shepherd, Jesus Christ, will die so he but when we come by faith, he can give us his righteousness. So you see, the moment a poor sinner trusts in Christ, God shuts the door. 
So then you do not, you do understand what it means to come through the door. It means to give ourselves to Jesus, to depend on him and to rest in him for safety. You won't bounce off or, or burn up because you entered through the right point. A second thing in this passage of scripture in verse number nine, not only will you have safety, but you will have freedom. What it says in verse number nine, it says you will go in and out. You will go in and out. You know what that is? I can go in the, in, in the sheepfold. I can come out of the sheepfold because the shepherd's watching me. The shepherd's with me. The shepherd's taking care of everything for me. So I have freedom because there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. There is freedom to go into the Lord with your holy boldness in prayer and speak to the Lord as a member of his family. I have no fear of the wrath of God anymore because I have... The shepherd is taking care of everything for me and to have regular, deep fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It also means that you are free from the bondage of your sin so you can now serve Christ without guilt. To get up every day and say, Lord, I'm your servant. Take care of me today as I go in and out in this hostile world. I'm going out in your name. Make me an instrument in your hands. As, it depend, as I depend on you, Lord, allow me to speak about the door. Allow me to speak to other people about the only way to make, be made right with God, to have their sins forgiven, to be guaranteed when they lay their head on their pillow and they die, they'll know where they're going, not based on anything they've done, but based on their faith and trust in Christ alone. That's the only way we, any of us enter and it doesn't matter what family you grew up in. It doesn't matter what religion you were first introduced to. It doesn't matter what philosophical things you had going on about you, how you determined whether you would be right with God or not. Those things don't matter. See, when you come to Christ, he's the one who matters. There's a third thing, privilege, in this passage of Scripture. And notice what it says. Not only will you go in and out in verse number 9, but you'll find pasture. You know what that means? Nourishment. And one thing that we all need in this world is this. We need our souls nourished. And we need our souls nourished not by the word of men, but we need our souls nourished by the word of God. See, nourishment, the word of God, is the source of spiritual nourishment to the soul, a place of great instruction and comfort. God's sheep want heavenly truth. They don't want junk food. They want heavenly truth, and no other food will satisfy them. They want to hear from God. That's what they want to know. They want to know not only that the Lord saved them, but how to live my life, how to have a good marriage, how to, to go out into the world and, and live for Christ in a very bold way. Lord, I, I need you. I need your spirit. We learn about more about what the gospel is every single day. So, so see, those who come to the house of God through Christ, they can come for Christ and they can find a rich green pasture that will satisfy their soul. So see, there's only one way. You heard it before. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Matter of fact, if you read through the rest of the Gospel of John, you know, you, you'll find Jesus says, I'm the way. Jesus will say, I'm the truth. Jesus will say, I am the life. Jesus says, I am the light. He says that I am the bread. In fact, every time Jesus uses the term I am, 
that brings us back to the Old Testament. Remember when Moses was going to go to Pharaoh? And Moses said to God, listen, I'm going to Pharaoh. I'm pretty scared to go to this guy now. Like, who am I supposed to tell him sent me? And God said, I am sent you, meaning that I am means that God has no beginning and no end. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. There is no beginning to God, no end to God. God has always been. He is the eternal God. And so when Jesus says, I am, he is saying to us, I am God, and I died in your place, and I can save you, and no one else can. That's what it means. So if you haven't come through the only door, today is an opportunity for you to come. If you have come, thank the Lord. Praise the Lord that you're one of his children. And wouldn't it be great today if you were to enter into God's true church by the door of Jesus Christ and then have the safety and the freedom and the nourishment that God gives to those who are born in his family. If you have come through the door of Jesus Christ, then you're saved. If you have not come, then you're not. There's no other way to say it. But you can come. If you heard the message and you respond to the message, you can come. So where are you? I don't know. I can't see your hearts. I can't look inside you. But God knows your heart. You know what's going on in your heart right now. I mean, you know, and so you can come today and repent of your unbelief and ask Christ to save you. Believe him in your heart, right? Call on him, believe him in your heart that God raised him from the dead and the word of God says you'll be saved. So if you want to do that and you need to talk to me about it or someone in our church about that, then you talk with them. Don't put it off. And you make sure that you have come in through the right entry point. Amen? Now this morning, everyone who's being baptized, you can be dismissed. They're going to get ready. And I just want to say this. Well, okay, you can be dismissed right now and get ready. Go in the back. Uh, that they have to, the people who are being baptized today, um, they're, they're going to give her their testimony. And their testimony is about what God's done in their life. Their testimony is about coming in through the only entry point. And that's what they've done. They've come in through the only entry point, and they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I just wanted to pay attention to your testimonies. I've I got a privilege to hear them uh, in our baptism class and uh, all I can say, I give God the glory already for all that he'll do, not only now, but in the rest of their life. So I just need a couple of men to move this pulpit, and I'll, I'll get, get ready. And just, uh, Greg, if you can just do 